so the Reardon family, uh, Marianne and I and the girls went camping at Morrow Bay, at Morrow Bay State Park specifically. Uh, this, by the way, is just a, an elaborate excuse for me to subject you to our family vacation photos. I hope you enjoy it. But it was a great trip. We really enjoyed it. I saw at least five birds that I've never seen before, which is a big deal for me. Uh, Marianne painted one of them. You can ask her to see that. The girls loved the quail that raided our campsite every morning. And they finally got to fly their butterfly kites on the beach. All in all, it was a pretty successful vacation. After the trip, we made a, a trip to Taco Temple, which is in Morro Bay, and I do recommend it. In case you were wondering if you're in Morro Bay, that is a place to stop. And then we headed home down the coast. As we made our way down the coast around Santa Maria, we journeyed inland on California Route 166. Spring is a beautiful season to travel in California. You may know that. Everything along 166 had a springtime green in that valley, which may not at other times of the year. As we traveled down the road, we came upon this valley and we could see throughout, I mean, there were oranges, there was fruit, but there's this one stretch that is just filled with acres and acres, thousands of acres of grapevines, vineyards. Now, I'm used to full vines. Now, you may know better than I do, I'm not a native Californian, but I'm used to full vines covering branches, grapes. Uh, but these springtime vines that we saw as we traveled down 166 were empty. I think I knew, of course, that grapes have to grow, but the complete barrenness of these vines surprised me. This and of course, the upcoming sermon that I had on Jesus as the vine led me down a rabbit hole trying to understand more about viticulture, which is a fancy word that means vine growing that I just learned how to spell this week. In Jesus's day, there were vineyards everywhere. Israel was a great place to grow grapes. And it's probably safe to say that almost everyone alive then knew more about grape growing than I do. Like for instance, did you know that wild grapes are actually smaller and much more sour than the grapes that we get at the market, your table grapes or your wine grapes, for instance? One of the reasons for this is that wild grapes are allowed to grow without pruning. So without pruning, the vine expends more energy on growing new branches. And so the fruit clusters, which you see in this picture, get less attention, less energy, and are smaller and less sugary. Cultivated and pruned vines will yield fewer grapes, but the grapes that are grown from that are sweeter, larger, more sugary, which is the important part, I think. In this parable, Jesus draws on his disciples' own common knowledge about grape growing, about vineyards and vines and vine keeping. However, if you are like me, and some of you are, you do not have that same background. And maybe, just maybe, some of the picture is lost on us. So this morning, I wanted to reflect just a little bit on grape growing in Jesus's day and perhaps how it offers us what I think is another way of reading these words, maybe a non-standard way of reading these words. So viticulture in the vineyard of God. 
this is really important to understand the context. This parable in, in chapter 15 of John is in the middle of this narrative. It comes amid dark days. This whole section from chapter, really chapters 13 to chapter 17 is part of Jesus's final words to his disciples before he is arrested and he is executed by the state. Jesus has told them that he will be betrayed and killed. And as you would imagine, the mood is not great. But after this depressing news, Jesus offers what is really five chapters of comfort and encouragement. I didn't have Dave sing this song, but En Este Mundo is actually a very fitting song for the context that we're in. All of this happens, importantly, just before Passover. And so it is springtime. The grapevines are beginning their cycle, probably barely flowering at this point, even if there are flowers at all. And Jesus offers a parable that meets these agriculturally attuned people here in the midst of a growing season and at the beginning of this growing season. Jesus begins with this bold claim. I am the true vine. Jesus is the source, the root, that which gives life. The claim to be true might hit our ears as if it's a, it has this kind of smack of exclusivity. But for these dark days that Jesus is addressing with his disciples, he is saying something much deeper. Jesus, he's saying, is a trustworthy root, the, the trustworthy root, the hope that will not fail, even when things seem the bleakest as they do to Jesus' disciples now, they can trust in him. Jesus is the vine that gives us branches, life. In his teaching example, his way of peace, and good Jewish lads that Jesus' disciples were, they would have recognized, as we read in Psalm 80 from today, um, and as we find throughout the Old Testament, that this imagery of vine and vineyard is used of Israel as well, and that Jesus embodies and brings life in remembrance of God's covenant faithfulness to God's people. So now to picture this vine, we should also note that Judean farmers in Jesus's day adopted a Roman practice of trellising. If I don't want to get too far into the weeds or the vines, <laughs> that was intentional, obviously. The Roman practice of trellising, and this is a modern take on a Roman trellis. This is not what Roman trellises looked like. Uh, but what it was, they would build these trellises and a vine would grow over the trellis and its branches would be trained onto that trellis uh, so that it would have proper space, sun, aeration. Jesus would be that source vine in this metaphor and the branches would be trained onto the trellis. The keeper of this vineyard, Jesus adds, is God, the father, our mother, the vine keeper. God is the vine keeper. We meet her at the beginning of the season, in springtime, attending to the vines. Now, though I spoke earlier of pruning, a picture in which you might imagine God going around and chopping off branches and taking names, it is important to note that grapevine branches are only removed actually at the end of the growing season and not during it. This is well documented from the first century. This is so that the vine does not have to expend energy on healing from ripped off branches and imposed trauma. In fact, in our reading this morning, as we will see, at no point does God, as we have it, 
impose this sort of trauma onto the vine. Her actions are always for the benefit of the branches and the vine. So in the grape growing cycle, there are really two types of pruning. There is the severe pruning that happens at the end of the season that removes old wood, diseased branches. Often this is what people are thinking of and anything else not for the use of grape production. And there is what might be better called another pruning that happens, and as Jesus calls it, a cleaning and a trimming, uses the word cleaning, that takes place in springtime during the growing. And further, besides trauma, the vine dresser does not chop off all of the branches that are not bearing fruit because as it turns out, those branches are really important for the future of the vineyard, right? So in this earlier cleansing, the, the vine dresser will go in and make sure that foreign things are taken out, that there is proper aeration and sunlight, that everything is growing at a proper, proper distance, but does not hack off branches. But it's not simply that the vine dresser does not hack off branches because those branches don't bear fruit. As it turns out, those there are other branches that are not fruit bearing branches that are very important for the growth of the vineyard and future production. Chopping off non fruit bearing branches would be disastrous. This is something of an example. Did you know that grapes only grow on branches that have sprouted from the vine during the previous year, right? That is, grapes will only grow on one-year-old branches. That's it. That was something new that I learned this week that Jesus' disciples probably knew, and then I didn't. What that means is, in order to keep a vine continually bearing fruit, a farmer must be able, right, and must, be, must continue to grow non-fruit-bearing branches for the continuing seasons. You see on this example, on the one side, there is the fruit spur. That's the branch that's gonna grow fruit. On the other side, you see the cane, it says one year wood, right? And then under it, it's renewal spur for next year's crop. That is, it grows a branch every year so that in the next year, that branch will grow grapes. And they do this continually. These branches you don't prune and you don't clean in the same way. Pliny the Younger, talking about the whole ancient process himself, describes multiple types of non-fruit-bearing branches that are essential to the life process. This was revolutionary for me in thinking about this passage. I hope that you are as excited as I am. I can see it. Some of you that know this parable might be thinking, hey, the version that we read this morning says that God takes up the branches without fruit. This version is the new revised Tim Reardon version. But the version you may remember might say something like God removes those branches. That sounds really different, right? Takes up the branches versus removes the branches. The word can really mean both, to lift or to take away. And it depends on the context. But really, the picture here, I will argue, is that it is God attending to all the branches of the vine as they grow, like any good vine keeper would have done in Jesus's day, as Jesus' disciples would have understood about the vine growing process. On the one hand, the vine grower cleans and trims and prunes the fruit bearing branches so that they grow good fruit. But she also takes up those important non-fruit bearing branches 
lifts them up so that they will be the ones that are necessary for next year's crop so that they can be tied to the trellis where they may grow with proper sunlight and aeration. This seems to me to be a much different picture of God's vineyard. And reflecting on it this way brought to mind a lot of different thoughts for me. Here are just a few that I had, not all of them. And perhaps this kind of renewed image made you think of your own. One of these thoughts can be summed up this way. Some branches bear fruit, some don't, and that's okay. I should clarify some of this, I think. Though I have been trained myself to focus on productivity and the anxiety that comes with that in late stage capitalism, both the fruitful branches and the non-fruit bearing branches are important. Paul might say they're all parts of the same body. As long as they remain in the vine and attached to life, attached together, it is the whole vine moving towards fruitfulness. But there are branches coming up behind these fruit-bearing branches, right? That is an important part of this. And God carefully lifts up and cares for these branches as well. Remember, Jesus does not say in verse 6, if you don't bear fruit, you will be cast out, gathered and thrown in the fire. He says, if you don't remain in me, you will be that like that branch that is cast out. It is not about bearing fruit as an individual branch. It is about remaining in Jesus and participating in the body of fruit bearing, in the vine. Our life is found in Jesus, in remaining. That is the point. And we are remaining as branches working together. And each branch is important. Each part of the vine is important. And so, two, what I thought is, it really struck home for me is the common fruitfulness, the fruitfulness that we have together. And so while we all are important, each one of us, it is not about the fruit bearing individual branch alone, but the life of the whole vine. It is about bearing fruit, but it is how the fruit, uh, how the vine bears fruit together. It is not about the anxiety that you singular, you singular must produce fruit. And this maybe becomes clear when we realize that all of the yous in this passage are you plural. We are all part of the same vine. We are part of something bigger than an individual branch. And we are participating in the fruitfulness of the vine together. Even branches that are still immature and without fruit have an important role to play as they move forward together in their own fruit bearing, to their own fruit bearing year. We are not branches alone, but we are branches bound together in a common purpose. How do we inhabit that common movement of abiding in Jesus, PMC? Number three, but what about that fire? I can't pass this fire language up, of course. It's, it's pretty interesting. Many see here a teaching on hell, which has been of some interest to students of John's gospel because you may not know this, but this is the only place in the entirety of John's gospel that there is any mention of hell. So they see this as the mention. Yet, I mean, surprise, maybe you know this about me. I don't think this is about hell or about God's righteous judgment. This is simply part of the agricultural imagery that is to be expected. It is not about God punishing non-believers. 
certainly the Bible elsewhere speaks of hell, and that's not the, the, what I'm trying to talk about, but that's not the point of this passage. And actually, if we read verse two as we have, where God lifts up those, those uh, non-fruit-bearing branches, where he's taking care of the whole vine in all of its parts, God is not cutting off the branches there, but he's caring for them. He's attending to them. She is attending to them. We don't see anywhere in this entire parable, in this entire story, where God removes branches from the vine. Take that for what you will. The point is simply this, that if you aren't remaining in the vine, this is Jesus, part of Jesus' point, at least for the fire, you are no longer part of this life-giving reality. We might say that this speaks more to our hyper-individualism than anything else. Those things that are no longer on the vine, those things who seek to bear all of the work alone, lack life and are only good, at least in this metaphor, as they would understand it, for being collected to heat the farmer's home through the winter, which is what the, the refuse of that, that last pruning would be used for, but not to participate in the life-giving of the vine. The point is remain in life together so that we may continue to grow together. And finally, um, my last point, my last re reflection, the handful of reflections then is this call to staying in life, to perpetuating it together, to allow the life of Jesus to work among us. That is the point, bearing fruit for the world. I, I reflected quite a bit actually this week on who is this fruit for? Obviously, the passage doesn't answer that. It doesn't say, but the branches don't eat the fruit, do they? Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but maybe the world eats fruit and the birds of the air eat fruit. What is the fruit? Maybe that's a riddle that you have an answer to. Maybe I don't have a sufficient answer to it. But I think at least it is life and fullness and peace and justice. It is what comes forth from hearing and the words of Jesus and living into the love that he shows us. It is a new world blooming. It is the life that comes from imagining things like abolition or the end of state violence. This fruit, Jesus says in the following verses, is love, or that at least is what stitches it together and gives it life. So remaining means cleaning though, and it also means trimming and pruning. Us who live in the marketplace of religions often don't wanna hear things about trimming and pruning. We just wanna hear things about fruit and life. But, and that is important. So, but, and I don't think most of us are here because we're in, we're just trying to float down the river of our marketplace religion. But we must also be careful at the same time, it seems to me, to not turn this pruning, this cleaning, as uh, the God who causes trauma for our benefit. Rather, it is the God who responds to it and cares for us within it. This fits well the setting of Jesus seeking to encourage his disciples in the midst of their darkness, bleakness, expected trauma. Elaine V. Emmeth, and I'm quoting here actually the words of John J. Collins writing about uh, her writing, to be straightforward, says that the pruning metaphor works for her only if she thinks of God as a gardener who grieves 
while watching a violent storm rip through a prized garden. Which, by the way, when we understand that this is Israel and we know the language that God uses of Israel's care for or God's care for Israel the vineyard, it makes sense. Afterward, the gardener tenderly prunes the injured plants in order to guarantee survival and to restore beauty and harmony. Pruning is not to be confused with the tragedies that overtake us, she says. It has more to do with clearing away the debris they leave behind. And I think preparing us to live into something new is what I would add, to grow into something new together in that love. What is the debris that needs to be cleared away from our branches that keeps them from growing, that causes trauma? We list them all the time, and I'm sure that you have, have many that you can think of. But, and so I'm going to end it in here with this. In scripture, God lamented the traumas and tragedies that had affected his vineyard, Israel, sending Jesus to bring life. And perhaps that is the vision of God that we have here today, sending Jesus in this way to bring life. Frank spoke a couple of weeks ago about the traumas that surround us, the traumas that we've been living through, police violence, white supremacy. Here, I think, is a story of God tending to a vine that she has planted, Israel, that has experienced pain and exile and imperialism. Indeed, the Psalm that we read, Psalm 80, spoke of Israel's traumas. It is not ours to compare the wounds of our world with those wounds. Each is unique, but we call on the same God. In the words of the Psalmist, we ask God to attend for the branches, healing them, that we all might brim over with life, that we all might have life, a fruit of life for all to partake in. And so vine together across space and time, bearing fruit together, bound in common purpose by the grace and life of God. Amen. <laughs>